With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Bukhama Dafa in Bayes, page 72. We begin four lines in Hashem's assistance, we are We said in the Mishnah a few different cases. The one that we're going to discuss is the case where somebody slaughtered an animal inside of the temple courtyard. So we're talking about not an animal that was supposed to be sacrificed, but rather was a regular animal. The Allah, the law is that if somebody slaughters an animal which is supposed to be used for a regular person inside of the courtyard, so the slaughtering is invalid. We can deduce from here that it must be that one is it considered that it was slaughtered. The slaughtering happens at the end. Meaning, because if it would be true that slaughtering is occurring from beginning to the end of the act of slaughtering, as soon as someone has slaughtered the animal, even a drop, so that's when it became forbidden, meaning you haven't yet completed the slaughtering, you started the action, so that's when, if it's considered from beginning to end that you're slaughtering, and you don't look at the final action, the final cut, so if that's the case, so then it becomes forbidden the animal at the first moment, you haven't yet completed it, so when the, when the person completes slaughtering the animal, so then he's not no longer slaughtering an animal that belongs to the original owner that he stole the animal from. Why? Because now it becomes, it became forbidden, and now it no longer belongs to the person we stole it from. So then how could it possibly be that you have an obligation to pay four or five times? It must be, says Rechavivi, that the only time that's considered that it's slaughtered is at the end. Therefore, at the first moment, it has not become forbidden. And therefore, that's why there is an obligation of four or five times. Says as follows, it could be that no, it could be that you can't prove that it only works, it's considered slaughtered at the very end, maybe it's considered slaughtered at the very beginning. And just like the ver- very beginning, it's enough of a slaughtering for it to be considered that it's you've slaughtered something forbidden inside of the temple, and therefore you've created a forbidden nature to this animal. So in regards to the obligation to pay four or five times, it's considered that you slaughtered it. Ravashi, Ravashi says, Don't say such a answer. You're saying an answer that doesn't really fit in. The verse says, And you shall slaughter it. It means you have to completely slaughter it. It doesn't mean that you do the first droplet of the slaughtering. If you make a little hole in the animal's neck, that's not considered slaughtered. Veleka, that's missing. Alakasha, so we have a problem. So he says like this. said as follows in the name of Rabba. That the case is a very specific case where you sacrifice some of the simon, and the simonim are the, the different parts of the animal that you actually have to cut through for it to be considered a good slaughtering. You, you cut through part of them, not completely, you have not completed the slaughtering, but you did that outside of the temple courtyard, and then you walked into the courtyard and you completed the slaughtering inside of the courtyard. So what happened was at the same exact moment where it's becoming forbidden, it's the same exact moment that you're completing the slaughtering, and therefore that's why it's both forbidden and you also have an obligation to pay four or five times. That those who learned this statement of Rechaviv Mechaizna on the following argument between two Amoraim. Amr Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, Mishim Rabbi Levi Sava, in the name of the elder Rabbi Levi, that if we're talking about the concept of the slaughtering, so there's certain thoughts that a person has to have when he's slaughtering, and if he has the improper thoughts when he's slaughtering an animal, let's say for a sacrifice, so then it's going to ruin the sacrifice. For example, a person has to be thinking when he's slaughtering it that it's going to be eaten in its proper time, in its proper place. And if he thinks that he's going to eat it in a different time, in a different place, so then he's going to ruin the sacrifice, the sacrifice is going to be invalid. So now, when does he have to be concerned about these thoughts? So, Rabbi Shimon says in the name of Rabbi Levi Sava that it's only at the very last moment that you complete the slaughtering that you have to be worried about these thoughts. Rabbi Yechanan Amar, Rabbi Yechanan says, that no, you have to be worried about these thoughts from beginning to end. It's considered that you're actually slaughtering every single moment, even before you've actually completed the slaughtering. So, here Rabbi says to Ravashi as follows The implication of Rabbi Yechanan's statement would be that if we're talking about something which is 
uh, a regular person who's trying to take his regular cow and slaughter it in the temple. So that forbidden nature would not be something which is forbidden from the Torah. It's actually an argument Rashi points out in Kedushan and Daphne Nunches, whether or not it's considered something which is forbidden from the Torah to take your animal and slaughter inside of the temple. So uh, Rabbi Yechanan said that the implication here is that according to, to Rabbi Yechanan, there would be no obligation from the Torah, it's only a rabbinic thing. Why? We talked about Rabbi Yechanan, page 72b. These are the Arisa, because if it would be true that it would be from the Torah, as soon as he went and he did a little bit of a slaughtering, so it's made it forbidden, there would never be an obligation on a person to have to pay four or five times the value because he's not slaughtering something that belongs to the, to the owner. So how's Rabbi Yechanan going to explain the mission that says you have to pay four or five times? How is it that you have slaughtered, it's considered that you've slaughtered, if, if the first very first moment is considered forbidden, it must be that forbidden nature is not from the Torah, it's only Midar Abonin, it's only from the sages. And therefore, you will have an obligation to pay four or five times. says to him, You don't have to say that. You could say that it could be that even from the Torah there is an obligation. It's considered that it's something that's forbidden. So then how do you explain the fact that he has to pay four or five times to consider that he slaughtered it? So the answer is, according to Rav Achari the Rava, that you, the first moment that you slaughtered it, it's also considered that you slaughtered it in regards to this respect, that you have to pay four or five times, not just that it became forbidden. That's, that's too much of a it's too much of a pushing off that, that explanation doesn't fit in very well because the verse is you shall slaughter it it means that you have to completely slaughter it that's missing when you've only done the first drop so so it's a problem so we say it like this this is what what is the case it's a very specific case when is there an obligation in our Mishnah where you started off doing the slaughtering outside you started off slaughtering this animal, which is a regular animal, outside of the temple, and you haven't completed the slaughtering yet, you left over the completion of the slaughtering, and that's what you completed inside of the temple. So therefore, both things are happening at once. You are also slaughtering it, creating an obligation for yourself to have to pay four or five times, and at the same exact moment, you've created that this is, the, you've completed the slaughtering, so that it's now considered that it's chulin ba'azara, that it's something which is profane, which you're, you're slaughtering inside of the temple courtyard, and therefore, it's forbidden. Now we begin the next mission. Gonav al pishnaim, mochar al Let's say somebody stole something, and he was caught doing that by two witnesses, and they also saw him either slaughter it or sell it. And then what happens, those witnesses who saw him, or claimed to have seen him, so they become Edim Zomim. They are found to be false witnesses, but this is a very special type of false witness, where their actual Edus, the, the statement that they're making is not being contradicted, but their person is being contradicted, meaning the two, two, a side of two more witnesses is coming and saying that those witnesses could not have seen him steal it and sell it, because they were with us at the time. Meaning, they're not contradicting the fact that it could be that that's what happened. They're contradicting the fact that these people who, are, who were the witnesses originally could have seen this action occur. So now, in such a case, the halacha is mishaman hakol. So then the people who had attempted to cause him to have to pay, we have now found, we have now found based on other witnesses, that the first set, they, they couldn't have been there. So they have to pay the full value, meaning the full four or five times that they would have affected, they would have caused the person to have to, to pay for the stolen object. Now, Gonav al let's say he stole and two people saw him steal. And there was another set of witnesses that saw him, that they, they claimed that they saw him slaughter it or sell it. If both sets turn out to be these false witnesses who are contradicted by their person, so the first set of witnesses had attempted to get him to pay double. And the second set of witnesses, so they had attempted to add on another two or three times. So so, so each one pays based on what they would have caused the person to have to pay. 
Let's say only the second group was found to be false. So then the, the person himself, the guy of, so he's the one who has to pay the, the double, the two times the original amount because he stole it. And then the second group, the, the witnesses who had been found to be false, so they had to pay the other two or three times that was necessary based on their false accusation. Let's say only one out of the two of the second set of witnesses is found to be false. So then the second set of witnesses, their testimony is nullified. They don't have an obligation to pay because they haven't both been found to be Zomimim. But they, there is no obligation, neither on the person who was the Ghana, the person who stole, and not on the, on the people who were found to be false, because only one of them was found to be false. Now, if let's say one of the first set became Zomimim, was found to be false, but Lakola Edus. So then, even though the second group is still extant, nevertheless, since if a person had not stolen, we can't prove that he actually stole. So it doesn't matter that he's actually sold the thing. It's not gonna. There's no. There's no ramifications of that unless we know that he stole. So since we have disproven the first set of witnesses, one of them became an Eid Zemim. So therefore, the whole there's no obligation on the person at all to pay at all. Sheim ein hagneva ein Because if there's no stealing, so then obviously there's no selling and there's no slaughtering. We begin the Gemara. Itmar. Stated in an Amoritic statement, Eid Zaymim. In regards to an Eid Zaymim, this special kind of witness who is found to be false because he couldn't have been there. Abaye Amar, so Abaye says, Let's say he's found many months later to become, to be, to be an Eid Zaymim, a false witness. So in the meantime, he said many different Eidus and he said many different testimonies, and the court has made many rulings based on his, based on his testimony. So the question is, when it becomes clear that something that he made many months ago, a testimony that he made many months ago, was not true. So does that invalidate him for all the testimonies that he stated in the meantime, or not? So now, so Abaya says that indeed it works retroactively, and he's considered that he's no good. Rava Amar Mikano Lahabahu Nipsal. Rava says that only from now and on is he considered that he's not a good witness. So Abayah says that it works retroactively, that he's invalid. Because from the original time that he said his testimony, he was considered an evil person. And the verse says, That you're not allowed to bring an evil person to be an aid, to be a witness. So once he became an evil person then, so it becomes clear retroactively that he was evil from then, and all the testimonies that were stated in the meantime, they have become invalid. That Rava says that no, he's only considered that he's is invalid from now and on, we're not going to retroactively make all of the different testimonies that he said to be invalid. Why? The whole concept that this person is considered invalid in the first place is a novelty. Really, if you have a first set of witnesses and a second set of witnesses, it's two people's word versus two people's word. Why do you believe this one and not believe this one? So therefore, all we say is from the time that we have the novelty, when their words are contradicted, only from that time and on are they considered that they're not going to be believed. But you don't say that they're actually an evil person, maybe in their, in their mahus, and, and you don't say that retroactively it goes back, it's considered that they're evil from the original time. That those who say a different version, that really Rava agrees to Abai, who says that it works retroactively to say that he's going to be invalid. But here, what's the reason of Rava in this case? The reason that we're not going to say this over here is because only in regards to somebody 
let's say Rashi says that if you had these two witnesses who had become invalid, so if they had signed a, a document that says that someone owes someone else money, so we're, if we're going to say that it works retroactively to make them invalid, so it's going to ruin any documents that were written based on their names. So therefore, Rava will not agree in that case that it won't work retroactively in that regard. Might be Naihu. What's the difference between the two different versions of Rava? So the Gemara answers that Sidu betray lechad betray lechad. You could have a case where what were we saying in the first version of Rubber? Then the first version of Rubber, the whole idea was that it's a novelty because you have two people versus two people. Why do you believe this one any more than the other one? So the first shot, the first understanding that we're going to say here is that if you have two people saying testimony about each individual of the first set. So then it's not two versus two, but it's two versus four. So therefore, that's why the second two sets would be believed against the first set. And therefore, in that case, so it wouldn't be a novelty. And in fact, it would work retroactively. But according to the second understanding, so we're going to see right away in the Gemara, according to the second understanding that had to do with the people who they're going to sign on their document are going to lose out money. So according to that understanding, so we won't make them possibly, we won't get them invalid uh, retroactively, even in that case. Inami, not the possibility. The second set of witnesses that came along to apostle to invalidate the first set of witnesses, they said that not that they weren't there, but rather that they were invalid witnesses. Why? Because they were people who are stealing. They're gazlonim. So a person who's a who's a ganav, who's a gazan, a thief, so he's not allowed to be a witness. So that's what they were saying. So now how does that work out? So according to the problem that that you have two versus two, and therefore it's a novelty that we believe the second group over the first group. So there's no novelty in this case because the whether we're talking about the fact that you have two for each individual of the first set, or whether we're talking about the fact that the second group was coming and saying that they're that they're gazlanim, they're thieves. So in either event, there's a reason why we're going to believe the second group over the first group, and therefore, according to the first understanding, so we will make it work. Lemafrei will invalidate them retroactively. But according to the second version, we still have to be worried about the fact that someone's going to lose out if there were people that, that if these witnesses were signed on the document. There was a story where Rav Papa did like Rava, that in the case of Adam Zoman, where you had these witnesses who were contradicted about their person, and he didn't say that they were retroactively made invalid. Rav Ashi, but Rav Ashi says the halacha is like a baye. There are actually six cases, in all of the cases we pass in like Rav, but there are six cases that the halacha is indeed like a baye, and those are represented by the, the abbreviation Ya'al Kigam, and the ayin of Ya'al, so that stands for Edim Zomimim, which is our case where we pass in like a baye.